Awesome. Good morning, friends. Get your Bibles out if you would. We are in the book of 1 Samuel this morning. We are in part two of a series appropriately called Samuel, the making of a prophet. And I just, I've, I've been just so wrapped up in this story. I've been wrapped up for a couple of months now. Once the Lord pointed me to this, things that I've never seen in my life, phrases and ideas and words that I've never, ever seen. They've always been there. But my heart has never seen them until the Lord is showing me this. this um, and he's saying, this is the kind of prophetic house I want to raise up. The same thing that I'm doing in and through Samuel, I want to do in and through you easily and your kids and your friends and their kids and your church. I'm like, oh Lord, that's a big calling, but do it. So uh, we jumped in last week. We took a look at, that, at the birth story. If, you've not, if you missed last Sunday, I want to encourage you, go back and listen to it. We, are, we, got, we got behind on our podcast um, because of COVID. We're caught up. We're, we're kind of caught up. We've got like the last six weeks there, including last Sunday. So go, go and find it, Apple whatever the other podcast things are, listen to it. Listen to the one even two weeks ago because it was a similar story of, of just what, you know, what God expects um, for, for those that are called by his name. Um, let me get my notes here. So uh, real quick recap, just uh, if, if you weren't here, we we're looking at the, the, the birth of Samuel, his, his mother Hannah, incredible story, she can't get pregnant, she's crying out to the Lord, she goes year after year after year into the house of God, one particular year she is just pouring out what I think is the gift of tears, a sacrifice of tears and travail that she lays out to the Lord, um, and then uh, the, the, the old man, the prophet, or, or the, the priest Eli has a word for her. He basically says, God's going to give you what you're asking for. She takes that word. She agrees with it. She has joy in her heart. She goes home. Sure enough, Samuel is born. And if you know the story, she says, God, I will give him to you all the days of his life. So this boy, he's weaned, two, three, four years old. She takes him up one last time to the house of God, and there she gives him to serve in the temple for the rest of his life. And he lives in the presence of God. It's this incredible thing. And I, I sense that the Lord is saying, look, three, three things, three, three characteristics, if we're going to raise up prophetic sons and dollars, we've got to get near to God. We've got to be close to the presence of God. Second thing is we need to learn to listen to what God is saying. God had to call him three or four times. God's got to call me a whole lot more than that, right? We need to learn to listen. If we're near to God, then what is he saying to us? And Samuel, for the very first time, he heard a word of God, and it was difficult to hear. It was a word of judgment coming against Eli and Eli's house. So that third step, he's got to make a decision. I'm near to God. I've heard his voice, but can I obey what he says to do? And he does, and he obeys. And that decision to obey the word of God transports Samuel into this sort of different kind of destiny. All of a sudden, the word of God, which the Bible says that the word had not been revealed to the people, that, that there were not prophetic voices going back for generations, says all of a sudden Samuel began to hear the word of the Lord. And it says this, chapter 3, 21, says, God revealed himself to Samuel through his word. And I'm believing that in our generation, God is wanting to reveal himself to, through prophetic sons and daughters, 
reveal his word through prophetic sons and daughters. But we will not know that word if we are not near to his heart, listening to his heart, being willing to say and to do. So we ended with all of a sudden Samuel is now growing up in this different kind of destiny. He has passed that test. And now we're going to jump in to part two of this. There's a fundamental question I think God is asking this generation, and it's this. Can I trust you to honor my presence and to speak my word? I believe that that's what God was asking Samuel. That was the test. Can I, can I trust you, Samuel? I know you're only four, five, six years old. Can I trust you, young man, to honor my presence and to speak my word boldly. And I'm, I'm convinced that's what he's wanting to say to another generation, to another prophetic generation today. Can I trust you, King's Church? Not just to be in my presence. Everybody wants the presence. Who doesn't want it? Can I trust you to honor it and to speak my word boldly? And that's what this next sort of, this, this next few chapters are about, is the failure of, of, of God's people to really honor his presence. It's actually the story two, two weeks ago with Nadab and Abihu. And honoring the presence is going to, especially in chapters four and five, that's where we're going to be. Go ahead and flip to chapters four and five. Honoring the presence is going to be a big challenge for Israel in this next season of their life. And they tend to oscillate between two things. On the one hand, they, they tend to neglect his presence. We see that all through Israel's history. The temple falls into disrepair. The ark is neglected. The law is neglected. So on the one hand, this is one extreme, is we neglect the presence. We don't care about it. We're doing our own thing, right? God, whatever, whatever God's doing, he doesn't care about us. Let's just, let's kind of pursue our own agenda. And we neglect it. That, that's one extreme. On the other extreme is we, we don't neglect it, but we want to control it. I told the guys I would stay between the monitors. I'm right here. We don't, want to, we don't want to neglect it. We, we tend to want to control it, but we want to use it for our own agendas. We want to use God's blessing, we want to use His glory, we want to use His power for our own ends. And we see that here in this chapter that we're going to read. So it kind of goes back and forth. We neglect, we control. We neglect, we control. And God is saying, you are not honoring my presence. Honoring means you're not going to neglect it and you're not going to control it. You're going to allow it to take its proper place right in the center of your life. You guys with me? You guys awake? Come on. All right, here we go. So chapter 4, uh, let me read this 1 through 3. Now the Israelites went out to fight against the Philistines. Y'all say, boo. boo. Enemy, enemy of God's people. The Israelites camped at Ebenezer and the Philistines at Aphek. Verse 2, the Philistines deployed their forces to meet Israel. And as the battle spread... Israel was defeated by the Philistines who killed about 4,000 of them on the battlefield. You guys with me? When the soldiers returned to camp, the elders of Israel, they call for a board meeting. All the elders come together. You know? They say, why did the Lord bring defeat on us today before the Philistines? Listen to this. Let us bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh so that he may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. Y'all see what's happening here? It's time for a war council. Come together, you guys. Listen, we got our tails, we got our tails spanked. We got 4,000 of our brothers that are dead on the ground. What happened? And somebody said, I know. It's because we didn't have the Ark of the Covenant in front of us as we went out into battle. They said, well, go get the Ark. Bring it on in. Seems like a good idea. Isn't that what, our, isn't that what Grandpa Joshua did? 
Well, yeah, that's what he did. That's what, that's what our ancestors did. We take the ark, of the, and the ark sort of is, is like the, that's our secret weapon. We take the ark wherever we go, and wherever the ark goes, there's going to be victory. And they say, let's do that. But what, what is going to unfold in the next two chapters are a series of what I say are ten expressions of judgment against Israel. We just read the first one. 4,000 dead. And this is, if this is a movie, I love movies, if this is a movie, this is a difficult thing to watch. Because we're going to see one after the next, after the next, after the next expressions of judgment against God's people. So this is their philosophy. If we got the ark, we got it all. So let's go to battle. But here's what happens. They go into battle again. So the people sent men back to Shiloh, verse 4. They brought the ark of the covenant of the Lord Almighty. I love how it says that. The ark of the covenant of the Lord Almighty who was enthroned between the cherubim. It's like the author wants to really reinforce, do you know what they're bringing back? This isn't a box. This is the ark of the covenant of the Lord Almighty who is enthroned between the cherubim. And Eli, hold, this is important, and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. And we know something about these two individuals. They are corrupt to the core. But they are also in leadership. They are sons of the priest Eli. They are priests themselves. And so they go to battle. They go back into the battle with confidence. They got their secret weapon. They got their spiritual leaders. We got Eli's sons. Eli's too old and he's too fat to go. But we got his sons leading the way with the ark going forward. This is going to be awesome. Verse 10, skip ahead. So the Philistines fought and the Israelites were defeated. And every man fled to his tent. The slaughter was very great. Israel lost 30,000 foot soldiers. The ark of God was captured. And Eli's two sons died. Oh, it's getting worse. We lost 4,000. We thought that was bad. We go back. Not only did we lose 30,000, but the ark, the very presence, the very core, the one symbol of our national and spiritual identity was taken by the enemy. Hophni and Phinehas die in battle. Word comes back to Eli. Eli is waiting. He is desperate to know what happened. He's concerned. It's funny. Look at this. He's concerned. Honestly, he's more concerned about the ark than he is about his own sons. They come back and they say, the ark has been taken. Your sons are dead. Phineas, or, or Eli falls over, probably has a heart attack, breaks his neck. He dies. That's another judgment. Word comes to Eli's son and our daughter-in-law. She's married to, 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 to one, of the, one, of Eli, uh, one of Hophni and Phineas. I remember which one. The word comes to her. She is in labor. She's in active labor. The word comes to her. She says, the battle, we lost the battle. The ark is gone. Your husband is dead. And she is in such travail and such broken hardness. This baby comes out and she says, name that baby. The glory is gone. So I named the baby Ichabod. The glory is gone. 
Let me keep on moving through these. So the ark goes back into Philistine territory. They put it in, in, in Dagon's temple, in the temple to their god Dagon. Bible comes back, or they come back the next day. The idol Dagon has fallen over on his face. They prop him back up. They come back again. Not only has he fallen over, but he's broken into pieces. That's another expression of judgment. They say, what are we going to do? We've got to move this thing. We don't want it in here. So they take it to their city of Ashdod. But as soon as it arrives in Ashdod, then judgment begins to break out again. The people are inflicted with tumors head to toe. And the people of Ashdod say, we don't want this thing here. You've got to get it out. So they take it to another city. You know, they take it on to, to, to Gath. And the same thing happens in Gath. Tumors and plagues begin to break out because the ark is there. And the people of Gath say, we don't want this. You've got to get rid of this. And they send it to Ekron. There's another city in Philistia. And the same thing happens. There's tumors and death and plague hitting the city of Ekron. This is three cities now. And finally, the Philistines say, we've got to get rid of this. We don't want it here. We're going to put it on a cart. We're going to attach some, some oxen to it. We're going to slap those oxen on the rear. We're going to send it back to Israel. We don't care. We just don't want it here. The oxen makes its way back to Beth Shemesh, back in Israel. And you think, oh, this is great. Perfect. It's back in it's back where it belongs. But look what happens when it gets to Beth Shemesh. So the people are excited. They're rejoicing at the sight of this. They're thrilled about it. They make a sacrifice. They make an altar. They're, they're offering the sacrifice to the Lord. They slaughter the poor oxen that brought the thing in there in the first place, right? <laughs> um, but look at verse 19, chapter 6. But God struck down some of the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh, putting 70 of them to death because they looked into the ark of the Lord. Now, part of me feels bad for these guys. Maybe I'm betting they're probably trying to do a good thing. It's like, look, this ark has been in enemy hands. Who knows? They probably pilfered it. Maybe they took out errands, or maybe they took out all this stuff. Maybe they took out the stone tablets. We need to make sure that everything is okay. So they open it up. And God says, no, I've already told you about this. And a plague sweeps through the town of Beth Shemesh. And then finally they take it to another town, Kiriath Jerem. It stays there for 20 years. People are afraid to touch it. What do we do with this thing? It's so unpredictable. On the one hand, it wins battles. But on the other hand, anybody that gets near it seems to die. We don't know what to do with this. And look at what it says in 620 or 19, or 20 rather. And the people of Beth Shemesh ask, who can stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God? To whom will the ark go up from here? I want to tell you, that's one of the most prophetic verses that I've read in a long time. I think the Spirit of God is asking the very same thing of you and I. Who can stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God? To whom will the ark go? Where can the presence of God dwell? In 2021, God's looking around our nation. He's looking around our culture. He's looking around our churches going, I want my presence to inhabit someone. Where can it go? Where can I find a people that can stand in the presence of a holy God? I'm fired up, y'all. Come on. And I'm thinking this, I'm believing this, we've talked about this, that the mission of God's church, the pri- I believe this, I, I, I could be wrong, I could, I, you know, listen, 
I'm sure there's smarter people than I. They'll say, easily, you're wrong. I believe it. I think that the mission of the church is primarily not evangelism. It's primarily not ministry. It's primarily not social justice. The primary mission of the church is to host the presence of God on the earth. And God is saying, I need churches who will be about that one mission. We've got a lot of churches that are about a lot of things. But I'm afraid that he's not finding many that says, God, we want to be a dwelling place for the Most High. We want to be an ark. So Samuel steps in. I'm moving through this, you guys. Samuel steps in, chapter seven, uh, chapter 7. Here we go. Samuel's been quiet. We don't know what's going on. We don't know where he's been, you know? Maybe he tried to warn them, but he's just kind of, he, I don't know where he's going on, but now he steps in. Uh, verse 7, uh, or chapter 7, verse da, 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 two and a half, three something. Then all the people, listen to this, then all the people of Israel turned back to the Lord. They came together. They said, Samuel, look, we don't know what to do. We know that we're God's people. We know that we're chosen. We know that we're set apart for great things. We thought that he promised us victory. We thought that his presence would go with us. And if his presence is with us, he will rout our enemies and he won't be defeated. So what happened? And Samuel begins to tell them. He says this. Um, by the way, we're beginning to see... Um, we're beginning, and, and the whole point of this series is raising up prophetic sons and daughters, raising up a prophetic generation. And we talked last week about how the, one, of the first, sort of, one of the first jobs of, 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 of a prophetic generation, the primary one, is to minister to the heart of God himself. We saw that in chapter 3. Samuel ministered before the Lord. Before he has a public platform, before he has anything to say, he is on his face in the presence of the ark ministering to the Lord. That is our first calling as a prophetic church. Minister to that, but it's been here in chapter 7. We see more. There's another, there's another sort of calling. Second calling is this. We are called to give words of exhortation. Hard words of rebuke. He already had to give one of those. Now he's going to give another one. Let's look at it here. He says this. Samuel said to the Israelites, if you are returning to the Lord with all of your heart, if, if you're truly turning then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the asterisks and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve Him only. Y'all say only. Only. God is an only kind of God. God doesn't share His glory. He doesn't share His love. And He will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Samuel says it's very simple. If you're truly gods, then truly be gods. Tear down the idols. Tear down the Asherah poles. Tear down the temples to Baal. And then you're going to see God's favor. And the people say, oh. Oh, you mean, you mean real, there's only one God, so we should really only worship one God? Yeah, that's the idea. So the Israelites put away their bales and asterisks and served the Lord only. And this will be their, their thorn in their side for the next hundreds of years. You can't seem to say no to the gods of the world. Oh, but we love them so much. Our neighbors have them. 
Our friends have them. We're weird, God, if you don't let us have at least, at least one Asherah pole. I promise, it's really just more of a, it's, it's, we're not going to worship it. We just want to look weird. Come on, right? Come on, God, just one. After all, we're giving you 300, and we're giving you the rest. Imagine those of you that are married, look at your husband and wife and say, I promise to love you 364 days a year. God says no. So they put them away. The Israelites put away their bales. They cut them down. They burn them. They destroy them. They say, we're going to do this. Uh, verse 5, Samuel said, Assemble all Israel at Mizpah, and I will intercede with the Lord for you. There's the third job description. Ministering before the Lord. Words of exhortation. Now he's going to be an intercessor. He's going on his face. When they had assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured out before the Lord. Skip on. They've, they, they have some, some fasting, some confession. All of a sudden, guess what? The enemy comes back. The symbols heard that they were gathered. The, 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 the Philistines say, all right, this is our time. Those stupid people are together again. We're going to kick their tails this time. They said to Samuel, listen to this. When the Israelites heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. I get that. They said to Samuel, do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us. They recognize now the power of prophetic intercession. They say, Samuel, whatever you're doing, don't stop. We've put away our false gods. We've fasted. We've truly repented in our hearts. But you don't stop interceding for us. Don't stop crying out. That word crying out is, is essential. It's critical. It's this gift of travail. Talked about this last week, this gift of crying out to the Lord. Sometimes we need to get to the point where we are actually crying out to the Lord in intercession. And Samuel is doing that same thing right there. Samuel took a suckling lamb. He sacrificed as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf. Listen to this. And the Lord answered him. The Lord is waiting to answer the cries of a prophetic generation. He's waiting for this. God shows up. <laughs> he defeats the Philistines. But that day, the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into a panic. Y'all, I want to hear the thunder of God in response to our prayers. Come on, right? I want to hear it. Our church started that way. You remember this? Do you guys remember this? We were in our living room. It was like our first Friday fellowship. We're gathered. This is in summer of 18. We're gathered together, 7 o'clock, right on the dot. I say, come on, guys, let's get started. As soon as I say there's a boom outside, lightning hits the front field, and it shakes the entire house. I want to see that when we pray, when we intercede. So God shows up, defeats the Philistines. Samuel then raises up an Ebenezer stone. I love that. He puts his memorial and says, y'all, don't forget what has happened here today. Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer, saying, thus far, the Lord has helped us. So far, God has helped us. And in Samuel's, there's two results of this. The first we just read, God shows up and defeats the enemy. So there's an immediate battle that's won. That's the first result. Here's the second result. In Samuel's lifetime, it says this in verse 13, the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. 
I wrote this down. I said, we underestimate the power of prophetic intercession. We think it's just about our own issue here and now, our own season, but little do we know that what God is doing when he finds a man, a woman, a boy, and a girl who cares nothing else but hosting his holy presence in an unholy world, it can have generational impact. Generational impact. Your small season of prophetic intercession can last for generations. I love how this chapter ends, by the way. We're wrapping up here. Um, Joe and Suzanne, Elisa, if y'all, are, if y'all can come on up. If, I can't even see. My eyes are so bad. So if they're not here, maybe somebody can, can track them down. We're, gonna, this is, we're, we're, we're done with this. I want to give you a challenge. Look at how this is. I love this. Verse 15 of chapter 7. Samuel continued as Israel's leader all the days of his life. From year to year, he went on a circuit from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah, judging Israel and all those places. But he always went back to Ramah, where his home was. Isn't that cool? I like this guy. He comes back home. No matter what, he comes back home. He ministers at home. We know he has a wife, he has children, he has a family. He comes back home. And he built an altar there to the Lord. If we don't have altars in our own home and in our own families, it doesn't matter what kind of great prophetic ministry we have. If we are not serving our wives, our husbands, our children, teaching them to honor and fear the presence of the Lord, what do we have? And so I believe, I believe that the same challenge God is, God is saying it today to us. Can I trust you to honor my presence and to speak my word? And Maggie, you never want to get the kids? I want to bring the kids back in here. They've been walking through uh, some, some teaching and some curriculum on, on hearing God's voice, on saying yes, but also on exercising kingdom authority, praying for healing. There is no, there's no junior Holy Spirit. They don't get just a little part of it. Samuel was barely weaned when he was in the presence of God. He was a young boy when he heard God's voice for the first time. What if your sons and daughters, grandsons, granddaughters, nieces and nephews could hear the voice of God now and learn to say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Can we be trusted? Can God trust us to honor the presence, to honor his presence? And the people of Israel had to learn that this box was not just a token box that gets you what you want. This represents a holy God in your presence. It is not a secret weapon to defeat your enemies. You can't have all the other junk of the world and then come parading God around and think that he's going to do your bidding. Don't neglect it. You can't control it. Put it in its rightful place. 
I want to give that challenge then to you, King's Church, this morning. I want you to stand with us this morning. Stand together with me. just a second for our kids to come in. Y'all be patient. Y'all bear with me here. I tried to teach this as quick as I could just because I want this, I want these last few minutes with us together. I think God is asking some of you that this morning. Can I trust you to honor my presence in 2021? Can I trust you to speak my word? And I want, I want you to answer that to him. I want you and him and me to him, heart to heart talk. Because he's got some battles that he wants to win in your life and in your family's life. He's got some new territory that he wants you to take in the season to come. He wants to expand your influence as a prophetic generation in our culture. He wants to increase his glory in your life and in your neighborhood and in your workplace and in your school. Whatever you think God is doing that's amazing now, God wants to double it in 2021. Whatever incredible things you're seeing, God wants to do even more of that. But he says, I need men and women, boys and girls, sons and daughters but will not neglect my presence or try to control my presence, but will honor it and put it in first place and be solely devoted to me, wholly devoted to me, and who want to be near to me, and who hunger for my presence, and who want to listen to my word and will speak it with boldness, who will intercede for a people, who will cry out to me, to change the course of events in their generation. God says, I'm looking for that and I want to find it. So I want us to respond as we worship. I want you to respond with your body. I do. I want you to respond somehow physically. Maybe that's kneeling down Maybe it's nothing more than just kneeling down in your seat where you are with your hands. Maybe it's being here at the front. Maybe it's laying somewhere. Maybe I don't know what it is. I'm just going to challenge you. There's nothing magical about this, but I just sense that God says, I want to see it. I want to see all in. All right, King's kids, look at Pastor Brad. Look at me. All right. I love you guys. We're going to pray and we're going to worship, okay? Do you guys want to pray for some people? Do you want to put your hands on and pray for healing? Okay. As we're doing this, if you've got any kind of physical need or anything at all, maybe not physical, but if we can pray for healing for you, come on to the front and these kids are going to lay their hands on you. And we're going to see some healing and breakthrough. If you've got any kind of breakthrough that you need, anything from the Lord at all, come on to the front and we're going to lay hands and we're going to pray for you in Jesus' name. But let's just minister here. We'll go probably another eight or ten minutes at the most, and then kind of when that when that time when when we're sort of done with this time up at the front, I'm not going to get back up here and release you. This is the last thing I'm going to say. You go when the Lord says you're done. 
Don't go before that. You go when the Lord says you're done doing business with him. But if we can pray together, come on. We want to do that. All right. Thanks, you guys. Let's minister. If you're if you need physical healing, I'm just going to ask you kind of pr- come on this side on your on your uh, on the left side, and we can pray for you. If you just kind of want to be alone and just be with the Lord, you can come over to this far side over here. All right. You're still seated on the throne. You're still seated on the throne. Still see.